we made a deal to come in there, but we had to buy an expansion franchise. So I convinced the, uh, the league, the Coastal Plain League, to let us come into Georgia, the first team ever to go you know, outside of North Carolina and South Carolina, Virginia. And we had to pay a pretty substantial expansion fee to the league, but they were able to uh, make a deal where we were able to separate payments over years so the team could help fund that, which made it uh, much easier for me and my wife. But even with that said, we had to put money in to fund the team to start. And after four months, that money ran out and we got a phone call on Friday at 445, January 15th, 2016, and then we were completely out of money and we overdrafted our account. And so that was one of the scariest moments I've ever had. And, you know, she turned to me, she said, we have to sell our house. And so uh, we literally sold our house, we emptied our savings account, and we were sleeping on an airbed. And, you know, just a few years ago, when you think about it, because we didn't have the, the capital and we didn't create attention and we weren't creating fans quick enough. And so that was a, a big time struggle. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Let's get started. Jesse Cole is the founder of Fans First Entertainment and the owner of the Savannah Bananas. His teams have welcomed more than 1 million fans into their ballparks and have been featured on MSNBC, CNN, and ESPN. The Bananas have been awarded Organization of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year, Business of the Year, and won the CPL Championship in their first year. Fans First Entertainment has been featured on the Inc. 500 lists as one of the fastest growing companies in America. The Savannah Bananas currently have sold out every game for the two straight seasons and have a waiting list in the thousands of tickets. Jesse's an in-demand speaker and released his first book, Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out in January of 2018. The book launched number one in three categories on Amazon and has been sold in 18 countries. Staying true to his mantra, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, Cole launched the book with a world tour at Epcot. His greatest mentors are Bill Vack, P.T. Barnum, and Walt Disney. He's the host of the Business Done Differently podcast and has been featured on more than 100 podcasts, including The Ziggler Show, Story Brand, and Donald Miller, and NPR's Only a Game. I am so excited to have Jesse Cole on the Deal Quest podcast. Welcome, Jesse. Yeah, Corey, fired up to be with you, my friend. So listen, uh, we definitely want to hear about the Savannah Bananas and how you got there and all this great stuff you're doing now with your company. But let's, uh, let's take it back. Uh, when you were growing up as a little kid, my guess is, most people I say, uh, you know, my guess is they probably uh, didn't think they were going to do, be doing what they did now. But I mean, being involved in baseball... Maybe you did. I, I, my guess is you probably didn't think you'd be walking around in yellow tux all the time, though. So what did you want to be when you were a kid, 8, 10, 12 years old? <laughs> no, I never thought I'd be an owner of a baseball team and wearing a yellow tux every day. No, as a kid, I, I had a dream to play professional baseball. That was my dream. So it was in the baseball industry. My father bought a baseball facility up in Massachusetts when I was a kid. I went there every day, hit in the batting cages, would, would play catch uh, you know, every single day I could. And that was my dream, to play professional baseball. And I was very fortunate to start hearing from professional teams. And 
we got a full scholarship to play college ball. And then uh, my senior year tore everything in my shoulder. And just like that, uh, it was over. I actually was filming a documentary at the time at school and I turned the camera on myself and it was probably one of the realest moments to, to find out right then that your dream that you've been working on since you were three years old playing every day was gone, but it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. And what's ironic is that I was so focused on uh, playing the game that I love and now I am so focused on changing the game that I loved. And uh, that's what I would feel like we're doing with the Savannah Bananas. Well, that's great. And we're going to hear a lot more about that. I'm excited to. One more question, though, before we get there. What was your first deal, however, you know, whatever that looked like at whatever age? What was your first deal that you made? <laughs> right. No, I, I got to go back and remember to what, when that was and what that was. Uh, I was an only child, so I was, uh, I think, constantly trying to make deals with my dad and just staying on the same route. I know I would make deals on how long I could stay out of the ball, ball field with him, how many more swings I could get. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just constantly made deals uh, to try to get a little bit more I guess, of what I wanted. Um, but I was also a guy who had, uh, you know, tried to sell baseball cards and had uh, lemonade stands. And, you know, I was, I was trying to make deals always. And I think I kind of had that entrepreneur mindset as a kid. It's funny. I think kids are natural, you know, negotiated. Well, right? Just let me stay up 10 more minutes. Right. You well, know? <laughs> I, I, I think it's so great. You know, you think about what a kid learns and I have a two-year-old now and, uh, Hey Maverick, we need to go inside. No, you think we need to? We need to go inside. No, and then then you end up start making deals. All right, we'll stay outside ten more minutes if you do this. All right, if you <laughs> right. eat your sandwich, we'll let you go watch Paw Patrol. And it's so interesting. I think there's actually a really great lesson to learn from kids, and it's persistence. It's persistence. Kids right. keep persisting over and over and over again until finally you're like, okay. And I think a lot of people, especially in sales, someone says no and they give up. And that's really when you get the first no is when the sales process starts. And we've had to learn that. And, you know, I, I watch Maverick do this. I'm like, all right, kid, I see it. I see it. You're going to have an opportunity to make some deals uh, when you get older as well. And uh, I, I don't get as upset as I think most parents because I appreciate the persistence and the drive to get something that you want. That's great. So give us a couple of minutes on the Savannah Bananas. And then I, and then I want to go back to your journey on how you got, you know, to be the owner of the Savannah Bananas. And I know you had a team before that. So, but just tell us right now what, you know, what the Savannah Bananas are and what your company uh, that owns that uh, does. Yeah. Long story short, the Savannah Bananas are one of the lowest levels of baseball there is. Uh, it's not major league. It's not triple A. It's not double A. It's not high A. It's not regular A. It's not low A. It's not rookie ball. It's not top level college baseball. It is uh, college summer baseball. And um, we've been very fortunate after struggles, challenges. Uh, my wife and I had to you know, sell our house, empty out our savings account. We were sleeping on an airbed. We only sold two tickets in our first three months. But now after a uh, being dramatically different and trying to change the game and be fans first. We're fortunate to, as you mentioned in the intro, to sell out every single game. We have a wait list for tickets in the thousands. And uh, we've built a brand that is now um, really transcended. Even globally, we have people that are tuning into our games and uh, tuning into what we're doing. So uh, it's become a, a crazy brand story of building something um, with a very clear purpose and, you know, to change the game of baseball and do it by being fans first and entertaining always. And We've done some crazy things, breakdancing first base coaches every game. We have a senior citizen dance team, the Banana Nanas, a male cheerleading team called the Mananas, which are the dad bod cheerleading squad. Our players do choreographed dances every game. We have a team wrestler that's one of our coaches in a full wrestling costume, a luchador that's in our dugout every game. We have a professional high fiver. We've hired aerialists uh, and other circus-like acts. It is a circus and a baseball game breaks out. And we're basically just trying to solve that problem. And baseball to many is too long, too slow, and too boring. And we're going to fix that and make it the most fun people have ever had at a baseball game. And that's the battle. That's the fight. Uh, that's the deal we've been trying to make uh, since we started. And fortunately, we've been able to have some success. 
I love it. And out of all those things, I don't know why the question came to my mind. Like, how do you become a professional high fiver? Is there somebody that certifies you in that? <laughs> very funny. Actually, very funny story. Uh, <laughs> again, in the context of this, you know, anytime you're trying to hire someone or bring someone on, there's a deal that has to be made. And here was the deal. We posted out on social media. We're looking to hire a professional high fiver. We had auditions and we asked people to come in and we wanted to see how good they were. But no one showed up. Like people were like, that's not a real job. Until finally, two weeks before the season, a six-year-old showed up with his mother. And he came into the stadium and started high-fiving every single person on our staff. And I turned <laughs> to the kid and I said, kid, you got the job. And so we hired a six-year-old. He got a jersey on the back. His name was High. We said High, and his number was five. He has hand sanitizer, and his goal is to get between 1,500 and 2,500 high-fives every game. And uh, he was, came, wow. came to me devastated during the COVID crisis and said, you know, I'm going to lose my job. And I go, no, let's, let's think about this. And he came up with an idea of being the air high-fiver. So now he's the air high-fiver for at least one season where he's going to go around the stadium giving air high-fives to keep his job uh, going. So, yes, he is a very important part of our team. And uh, uh, I think it shows that, hey, we're just trying to have fun. If we can hire a six-year-old to give high-fives or even air high-fives, uh, it shows we're investing in the experience to make it fun. Oh, I love that. I love that. All right. So let's go back because, uh, you know, Anybody's journey to owning any baseball team at any level is probably interesting, but yours is particularly interesting because uh, you didn't start with this team, right? You started with a prior team. So give us the background on how you got there, and then let's talk about the deals that ended up getting you where you are. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to join our DealQuest community group on Facebook. There, you'll have a chance to engage with other entrepreneurs, business owners, executives, and leaders who are looking to grow, do deals, and make a bigger impact. In addition to the great content and community, you can also register there for our Conversations Community and Cocktail Zoom calls and the upcoming Deal Den Zoom calls, during which you will have the opportunity to brainstorm and get support with deal-driven growth for your company. Now back to the show. Well, the first deal I made, I remember um, I was in college. My, I just tore my shoulder. I was done playing uh, baseball. And I got an email about an internship with the local team. I hadn't even heard of the team. That's how bad that team was. But I said, <laughs> I'll try it. And they said, uh, I go, well, what's the opportunity? They're like, oh, we're not paying. It's an unpaid internship. I go, okay, this is interesting. And I said, but I might as well try it. But so they gave me a phone book on that first day. And they said, go call companies for sponsorship. So I started calling companies. And I started actually selling sponsorship to a team that no one ever wanted to come to. I just started coming up with kind of creative ideas on what would be good for the company, trying to solve their problems. And uh, a couple of months went by and I was like, all right, let's make a deal. Can I at least get some commission? Can I get something? And so I made a deal to start getting some commission. And then lo and behold, the owner offered me the job to be general manager of his other team at 23 years old. And my dad was like, why are you GM? And I go, and I realized that it was the worst team in the entire country. No one wanted the job. So I took it <laughs> and I became GM at 23 years old. And the first deal I got offered, uh, I got offered $27,000 to be a GM of a baseball team. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get paid to do this. But then I looked and the first day there was only $268 in the bank account. And we had three full-time employees and payroll was on Friday. <laughs> I wasn't able to pay myself for the first two to three months, but I did make a deal. I said, Hey, if we hit this ridiculous goal of fans and revenue, I'd like to get up to $30,000. I'd like to get a $2,500 bonus. And they jokingly said, yeah, sure, all right, we'll do that. And so I had a goal to make and I, uh, we, we doubled revenue. We, we tripled our fans. Um, we started being dramatically different, focusing on the fun, the entertainment, the dancing players, the grandma beauty pageants. And I hit my bonus. 
And then the next year, I was 24 years old. The owner came up to me and said, Jesse, I've never seen anything like this. And I said, well, thank you for empowering me to do things. He goes, we had nothing to lose. And he said, uh, he said, what would you like your salary to be next year? And I said, you're kidding me. He goes, yeah, it's up to you. I was 24 years old. And so I said, I, I, I'd like to make 40,000. I was like, $10,000 raise. And I said, I'll, I'll bring in at least an additional 100,000 and I'll bring in, a, I'll double the fans again. I said, done, yours. And from that point on at 24 years old, I was running the team. I was owning the team. I was owning the finances, even though I wasn't an owner. And I learned so much from that amazing mentor of mine, Ken Silver, who you know, gave me the opportunity to make my own deals, make my own decisions, and even make my own salary. And so I was fortunate many years later, I bought that team from him, uh, made another deal, and uh, we got some success. And then we went to Savannah and blew up bigger than we imagined. We sold that team. And now I think back to those moments, those learning moments of making deals. It's how do you give people ownership? How do you, how do you empower them to, uh, to make their own deal? And so I've even given that opportunity to all of our employees in Savannah to name their own salary. And, and you know, now we do profit share, but it's, it's giving that ownership. So that's the journey from Savannah or from Gastonia to becoming an owner to then coming to Savannah and then the struggle to the success. And that deal you did to buy the team, uh, that first team in Gastonia back then, you know, anything you want to share on, on how that, you know, what that looked like and how you managed to pull it off at, at such a young age? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a very unique situation because I had a mentor, someone that I loved, I respected, and who actually ended up marrying my wife and I. Uh, he got ordained. That's how close we were because my wife and I met at our stadium and uh, I proposed in front of a sold out crowd in the yellow tuxedo and she said yes. So, <laughs> so it's a very interesting deal to make someone with you're so close with, someone that you love. And um, especially because he's like, you know, I have this number. This is what the team's worth. And, and by six, seven years of, of us building it, it was a very profitable team and it was worth a lot more. The challenge that I was coming from is when I took it over, it was worth nothing. Right. So, so it was, you know, he said, here's my number. And I said, you know, we can't do that. And, and then we kept getting lower and he was like, all right, I'll owner finance. And so we owner finance, we looked at it and my wife and I said, all right, I think we can, um, you know, do this through the team. We can pay off annually through the team. And we made a deal and uh, it was a really, really cool moment. And so when we sold the team, uh, there was still some debt to be paid, but we, but he helped restructure that with the new owners. And I was very lucky to be able to make that deal because, you know, we didn't have money and we've always, anytime we've taken on a lot of debt, I mean, between buying that team and buying Savannah and, you know, we were almost at $2 million in debt, I think $1.8 million in debt between everything. And we went from zero debt myself. I mean, literally before 30 years old, zero debt to $1.8 million in debt. Um, but luckily we were able to uh, position that uh, paying annually through the team's success, which made it a lot easier for us. I love it. So, so when you bought the Savannah Bananas, was it a similar thing where it was on a financing? No, so there was no team. So basically the Savannah story is there was professional baseball in Savannah for 90 years. I mean, literally Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jackie Robinson, uh, Mickey Mantle. Every big time player played at that stadium. It's an old ballpark, uh, no digital scoreboards, no suites, an old stadium. But to me, it was like, I felt like a kid in a candy store the first time I walked in there. And when I walked in there uh, back in 2014, my wife and I we were on a trip. Um, there was about 100 people there watching a um, professional minor league baseball game. Uh, the New York Mets affiliate was playing, but no one was there. It was just a ballpark that was left abandoned. So they asked for a brand new stadium from the city. And the city's like, we're not building you a 38, $40 million stadium. You got no one coming to your games. So right. they said, forget it, we're leaving. So we made a deal to come in there, but we had to buy an expansion franchise. So I convinced the, uh, the league, the Coastal Plain League, to let us come into Georgia, the first team ever to go you know, outside of North Carolina and South Carolina, Virginia. And we had to pay a pretty substantial expansion fee to the league, but they were able to uh, make a deal where we were able to separate payments over years so the team could help fund that, which made it uh, much easier for me and my wife. But 
even with that said, we had to put money in to fund the team to start. And after four months, that money ran out and we got a phone call on Friday at 4.45, January 15th, 2016. And then we were completely out of money and we overdrafted our account. And so that was one of the scariest moments I've ever had. And, you know, she turned to me, she said, we have to sell our house. And so uh, we literally sold our house. We emptied our savings account. We were sleeping on an airbed. And, you know, just a few years ago, when you think about it, because we didn't have the, the capital and we didn't create attention and we weren't creating fans quick enough. And so that was a, a big time struggle. Wow. I have to give some props and shout out. I don't know her, but I guess give some props and shout out to your wife because to have a wife that says we have to sell our house as opposed to, uh, you know, I'm not selling my house, go get a job or something. It's, uh, you know, that's a great partner there, Jesse. It's, it's more than you know. And I think, I think that's so important. You know, we always give all the credit to the entrepreneurs and the successful people out in front. You know, for me, the guy in the yellow tuxedo, but there's no way I or anyone that you see that has success can deal without some form of huge support, a rock family members, everyone. And um, it's for us, she's also the heart of our team. She's the culture. She's the one that we, you know, we surprise people with trips to Ireland and to the, to the go to the world series game one with their dad for their, their biggest team that has done all these surprise things. She plans that. So um, yes, uh, we're a very good team. And I think everyone should look not just on what you can do, but who do you have as your support system? And if you're going to try to do something big, if you want to make a big deal, you got to make sure that your uh, spouse significant get other family members are on board. And that, I think sometimes that's forgotten. I'm going to keep pursuing what I want to do. And uh, I've been very, very lucky. So thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah, no, no, I recognize it. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a, a, a wife who is as supportive. So I recognize it. No question. Yes. All right. So you, uh, so you, you, so you buy it, you know, so it's an expansion franchise. You, you pay that over time to the league. And then what's this, is the stadium situation a lease? How, how is that set up? Yeah. Yeah. So we have almost all teams uh, have a lease to, uh, for the, with the stadium. So most stadiums are owned by the municipality uh, and they lease it out. So we pay a monthly rate to basically have uh, the opportunity to have our office at the stadium and host events at the stadium. So that, that's a very important. And luckily there was a precedent set that, it, you know, it was, a, it was a lower lease because that's the way it was. They were, there wasn't that much success. And um, so we were able to get a lease that was, um, not a huge, huge risk for us. And I think that was very important. And obviously when you look at a lease, you know, you got to look at too, what do you bring into the city? And, and when you look at the economic impact, it's become a win-win. So as we've renegotiated now our next lease, which went on for about two years, negotiating back and forth, it finally came to life that the impact on the community is number one and not trying to look at short-term dollars over a long-term impact. And that's how we do everything short-term. I mean, we always look at long-term fans over short-term profits. And I think the city was able to see that as well as we move forward. So how, you know, we, we mentioned some of your uh, mentors and, uh, and, you know, people you look up to in the bio, you know, people like Bill Vack, who obviously had a reputation, you know, for doing some of these kind of promotional crazy things. But, you know, how did you, like, you have a whole philosophy around this, right? It's not just, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this crazy promotion here or there, but it, you know, your company and the way you run the team, uh, you know, I feel like you have this whole philosophy about the way you do this and, you know, talked about in the bio about doing things differently. You want to talk about that a little bit? I, I, I yeah. love that, that concept. And especially, yeah, especially stay co- context with this in, in, in regards to deals. I think, you know, the biggest deal that any company should make is the promise of who you are and your brand and the promise mm-hmm. that you make to your people, the promise you make to your fans. That is an important deal that, that can't be broken, that needs to build trust. And so for us, uh, it starts with the name of our company. And the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Um, you know, our mission is fans first, entertain always. Every decision we make, we ask ourselves, is it fans first? That's kind of our guide. That leads us. That gives us the clarity to who we are and what we stand for. And now that big vision is, is to change the game. 
You know, we want to change the game of baseball. We want to we want to change the way it's watched, change the way you play, because to many there's a problem. It's too long, too slow, and too boring. So how we're going to do that is be fans first and entertain always and continue to question everything. Question the way it's been done. Question the fact that you know games have been seen the same way for so many years. Question the fact that games are getting longer and we're losing fans every year. Major league teams are. We're going to question that and put our fans first. So we're going to say, all right. Every meeting, we have a, a chair. We, I think we learned this from Howard Schultz, another mentor of mine, Starbucks. We have an empty chair that represents our fans. Would they make that decision? And so to put it into context, it's why all of our tickets at our stadium are all-inclusive. Every ticket is all your burgers, your hot dogs, your chicken sandwiches, your soda, your water, your popcorn, your dessert, everything. Because fans get nickel and dimed when they come to most stadiums. They pay five bucks for this, eight bucks for this. That's a bad experience. A fan would not want that. So it's why we made all shipping free, always and forever. And everyone's like, oh yeah, free shipping. Well, no, Amazon, you pay $99 a year for that. <laughs> and other teams may do it for a weekend or companies. We're doing it always and forever because that's the fans first way to do things. That's why we have no uh, ticket fees or no convenience fees, which are the most inconvenient fees in the world. <laughs> and it's why, Corey, we made the decision this year, which got a lot of controversy, especially in the industry, that we will have no ads at our ballpark. We are creating the first ever ad-free stadium. And people are like, what are you doing? Where's all the revenue? I go, no one, none of our fans wake up in the morning and say, I want to be advertised to, I want to be sold to, and I want to be marketed to. And I guarantee you not one family wants to come to a ballpark and see ads and hear ads and be looked upon as the product that people are trying to sell to. So we said, we're going to throw away hundreds of thousands of dollars for the long-term impact of creating more fans. And uh, that's... Everybody may have a mission and everyone may have core beliefs, but you have stories and actions that back up those core beliefs and back up those missions. And every day we're trying to build more stories and more moments that back up who we are. And it's very um, powerful and it's very inspiring and it leads our team every single day. And so one specific question on the no ads thing, and then I want to sort of apply this in a bigger way. So do you still have sponsorship arrangements or uh, you know, partnerships Zero. of various kinds, or, or it's not just no ads. It's really no, it's, it's nothing at all, huh? Yeah, we, we completely, zero ads. Now, in the future, are we open to a company that wants to add something to the experience, but don't want to shout out from the mountaintops the name of their company and what they do? If someone wants to give away a thousand donuts or a thousand so and so bananas to our fans, but not having to say Chiquita or Dole or saying so so donut company, we right. will open and entertain that because that would be a fan's first decision. But Got if it. someone's coming to say, I'm doing this so you will come into my company or so you will start working with me, that is not fans first because that's the reason why every single day people are skipping ads like crazy on YouTube. And that's why Netflix is winning because there's no ads because people don't want that. So, yeah, there's zero ads. When you come to our, I mean, literally not, no program ads, no announcement ads. I mean, it is, you're getting a bananas experience that you can escape and have fun and dance and sing and be a part of something special. And, and to us, ads don't live in that environment. Wow, wow. So Jesse, I, I wanna, this whole uh, philosophy and the way you approach things differently, you know, it's, we're in a time right now with the whole COVID-19 coronavirus thing that's making a lot of people reevaluate their business models. Obviously, different industries have been much more adversely affected than others, including any kind of live entertainment, obviously. Certainly the speaker industry, both you and I are professional speakers. You know, people who uh, don't have a business model that includes other types of income, but just make their money on stage, which is not you or I, but it's many of our colleagues are reevaluating and looking at, everybody's looking to pivot. 
and frankly, and even before that, you know, there's always a discussion of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, differentiation and having a unique value proposition and all these things. But you've taken all this to a totally different level, right? You know, you, you've looked to t- totally redefine something. Uh, you have such a strong and clear philosophy. What are some of the lessons that you think a lot of businesses that are looking right now, they're struggling to pivot. And, and frankly, a lot of them, you know, like take speakers, right? Everybody's pivoting. The way they're pivoting is they're, they're delivering their talks virtually as opposed to in, in person, right? For me, that's, yeah, it's a pivot, but it's not really differentiated because it's what every speaker's doing. So, you know, what are some of the lessons that you think, uh, not only for speakers, but for any of these kind of businesses that are sort of determining right now that maybe they, they, they should be doing something different in their business model as the, uh, the world has changed? Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? So when we started, and still to this day, we never had resources. We never had lots of money. Um, and when we tried to market and do things like everyone else, we got results like everyone else. And much right. more. that's when we first came to Savannah. And I believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Um, so when you start doing that, when you start doing things like everyone else, and when you start trying to, uh, you know, be like everyone else, you're in trouble. And so for us, what we realized, we had no resources, we had no money, so we had to create attention. And instead of just having a marketing plan, I believe every company should have an attention plan. What are you doing to create attention? Put yourself in not just your customer's shoes and our fan shoes we do every day, put yourself in a reporter's shoes. So a news reporter, why should they be talking about you? What are you doing different? So you mentioned all the speakers that are just going in, everyone's doing online. Well, first of all, I'd go back and you should be innovating when you're at your best not when you're forced to. That's often too late. So what we had to start doing before all this, and we're fortunate that when this hit, where most teams are folding and they're having to let people go, we're actually hiring. And and because we had to, uh, we've been doing this since the beginning. And we call, the best thing you do is small bets. Just start experimenting. I think there's so much analysis and paralysis by analysis. Well, what if we do this? Will this hurt? Will this hurt? Just keep coming to a bet. Keep coming to bat. Um, you know, as a baseball, I started as a baseball guy, I know that the player that has more hits than anybody in major league history, over 4,000, Pete Rose, also had dramatically more at-bats than anybody else in major league history. Right. Most businesses don't have enough at-bats. They have these big, they come up this one big pinch hit at-bat, and they hope they have to hit a home run. If you keep coming to bat and testing new things, trying new things, you're going to start having more hits. So what that means for us, I mean, we started – hey, we're going to be the only team that has dancing players. If we want to get people to stop talking about being baseball, being boring, we got to do something that's a little different. So we started having dancing players. Then all of a sudden, that led to a break dancing for space. Then that led to our Banana Nana senior citizen dance team. Then it led to our male cheering team. We just kept testing and testing, and we kept pushing the envelope. And by doing that, we kept separating ourselves as the only, the only male cheerleading team, the only senior citizen dance team, the only break dancing first base coach. And it just kept separating. Now, it sounds like, oh, this is easy for an entertainment business. But everyone, ask that question. What are you the only one doing? And how do you get there? you got to start asking, all right, here are the industry standards. Here's what's normal in our industry. What would be something that's different and remarkable? And then how does that fit to your core mission of what you're trying to do? For us, if it's very clear that our vision is to change the game, we can question everything on how the game is played and how the game is watched. But you need to start by asking important questions. I think a lot of leaders don't ask the questions. We have idea paloozas every single month with our staff where we value the, the, the importance of ideas from our whole team. And we always ask a question. So for instance, what could we do that would make fans want to stay to the end of the game? Because that's still a problem in baseball. People don't leave movies in the middle of the game, but people leave baseball games in the middle of the game. So we ask that question and then we start throwing out ideas. 
And then the key is to start implementing. We start executing them. So I would challenge, you know, what are all the experiments that you can do this week, this month, this year? Don't just say, hey, we're doing two experiments this year. Start testing quicker because if you do and then you learn. Um, I mean, I, I can give so many examples. I mean, we started doing 24-hour drops with merchandise and, and it shut down our system. The network broke down, but we learned we had to do this differently. We started doing live auctions on our game-worn jerseys online. We start just testing things in every department from our merchandise to our videos, our dancing player music videos. So, Corey, I could go on for a while this, but I just, I don't believe entrepreneurs and businesses are adept to experiment on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis and not be afraid if something doesn't go right. Once it doesn't go right, you're, you're a step closer to doing something that will make an impact. Yeah, yeah. It's that, uh, you know, that classic phrase that I love, you know, about failing forward fast. That's really what I hear there, which is, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned your employees. So, you know, obviously you must, you must create a culture because, you know, you need a team to pull all this kind of stuff off and they've got to buy into this, uh, you know, this, this different way of thinking. Just give us a couple of minutes on sort of, you know, the arrangement you have with employees and, and, and how you create that culture of people who are, you know, aligned and, and, and on mission. Thanks. And I got to, again, give credit back to my wife and also Marie, our fans first director who, you know, started with us as a 22 year old. And that's been their, you know, their big projects and constantly questioning if we're trying to create the best fan experience uh, for our fans that come to our games, how do we create the best fan experience for our own people? And so we start with asking that question, what does that look like? And going back to part of what we believe in, you know, we have a fans first playbook that goes to everyone on our staff, our players, our interns, our game day staff. And in there, we have some of our core beliefs. And one of the, the beliefs that we have is, is we talk about the three loves and love your customers more than you love your product, love your people even more than you love your customers. And you got to love yourself. And, uh, you know, you got to love yourself to be the best to be able to do those two things. And so we talk about that. So we look, what, is that, what does that look like? We map the experience from during the interview process to the fact that we literally have three steps to our interview process. We have a video cover letter because we want to see their personality. Do they fit with us? Are they going to, are they good to be on camera? Cause everyone's on camera with our staff fans first essay that fits to our six core beliefs. And then we have our uh, future resume, which it's not what they've done in the past. It's what they've done in the future. We want to know how you want to grow with us. What do you want to be a part? And even if you want to grow outside of us, we want to get that trust in the beginning. And then it's mapped when they start here from, you know, interns having scavenger hunts where they get together, you know, we have celebrations. We know what their favorite snacks are. We have pictures of them. You know, it's, we just try to, to care for them and to show this is, this is how we want to care for our fans as well. And, you know, again, Marie and my wife, Emily, are constantly looking at these things. And, you know, it's why we'll invest money to take our team to Disney. It's why we've gone on cruises. It's why we, we do surprise uh, VIP concerts for our people that love music. Uh, it's just invest there. Um, and be okay if investing there if they leave in a year or two. Luckily, we've had very little turnover, but invest in people for what they are as people, for who they are as people, not just for what they can do for you as employees. And when you do that, the bottom line is taken care of. So our people understand what to do. They have a lot of fun doing it. And we understand, like, we literally celebrate it. We recognize it. You know, what gets recognized uh, gets done. And most people recognize sales. And I know this is talking about deals here. And everyone says, oh, we have our sales champion of the quarter, our sales champion of the month. You brought in the most revenue. Here's a bonus. How often do you recognize just being a good person, a good leader, being someone that cares for other people in the office? And so we have fans first moments. We have fans first recognition that we do before every staff chat on things that we've done for our people internally. That's recognized constantly. So that's how we've been able to build it. And it's all millennials. Everyone's 22 to 
our president just turned 29. He started as a 24-year-old. So we're a young team, and I think it's even more important. Uh, and Corey, the last thing I'll say that's got me going, um, you have to be able to uh, take the time to know your people as people in the sense of doing uh, fun tests. So for instance, I mentioned love. We've done the love languages. Our entire team knows everyone's love language, which is fascinating. And like, you know, our president's like, tell me you love me, but don't you ever touch me. Like his love language is words of affirmation. So we do that. We did the Enneagrams. We spent time learning about every people, what motivates them, what drives them. Know your people, know your people. Don't just say what's going on with that work project. What's going on in their life? How, you know, what are the challenges? What's going on? That's, it, that's so important. And that's been crucial for us. I love the way you're philosophy and your values permeate every part of your organization. And I think that's some place where a lot of entrepreneurs and larger companies are uh, trying to get. And, you know, most of them don't do uh, close to as good of a job as, uh, you know, as you, you've done it clearly, Jesse. So I think there's a lot of lessons uh, there well, thank uh, you. to learn. When does the uh, new season start and, uh, and uh, uh, are you going to be able to be playing uh, in, in these times? It's why I'm, I'm so fortunate that our team has built this culture of innovation, this culture of ideas, and this culture of experimentation, because um, obviously what's happened with COVID has crippled so many businesses, but the sports business, you know, is right up there and on the top percentage of that list because uh, live entertainment can't happen and minor leagues are canceled, college summer leagues are canceled, um, but we took action. And I think a lot of times, especially during challenges, challenging times, people wait around and watch that's not how we're going to do things. We're going to take action. And if we have to pivot, we'll pivot again. We'll pivot again. But our fans deserve that. So we made the decision in April and we worked with the league and said, we are going to play and we're going to play in front of fans. We were the first league, first teams to announce that. And people were like, what? And I was like, this is how we're going to do it. And not only that, we planned. So we're going to play July 1. We pushed our season back to July 1. Uh, and we have to go 50% capacity which for us is, as every game's been sold out with 100,000 plus people, you know, we're turning away 50,000 people that already bought tickets. That's a huge challenge. So we were already ready in innovation and said, all right, well, what's the problem fans are having? So fans aren't going to be able to see games. How can we not only show games to fans, but show it in a way they've never seen before? So we immediately started working on a test that we were working last year. Is how do we stream games from drones? How do we actually put camera mics on players? How do we get you inside the huddles, the celebration? How do we let fans choose what happens during the game, whether it's a pinch hitter, whether it's a, a pitcher coming into the game? How can we give fans an experience digitally that they've never had before? We've already been testing it. Now we're ready to rock and roll. And the other test is we were actually going to play a secret game where for two years we've been working on creating a, a baseball game that's faster and more exciting than any other game out there. And we played a test game that was the equivalent of nine innings in 99 minutes. And the players said it was the most fun they've ever had playing. We're doing a secret game tested in front of a live audience right before our season, and it'll be on our Bananas streaming. And so we've set up Bananas Insider, $5 a month, a whole new uh, subscription business to see the behind the scenes. It's literally the Netflix of the Bananas. We're doing documentary shows. We're following the players out at night. We're following the players everywhere uh, and to really show what this is about. And so we are fired up. There's, the time is right for us and, and to do it now. Now, listen, for our listeners, if this doesn't inspire you to get some new ideas, to really, you know, uh, think out of the box, to really look at uh, how you differentiate yourself in whatever business it is, because, you know, if you hear this as, you know, it's just a, you know, a, a baseball team, an entertainment, uh, you know, area where it's easy to do these things, then you're missing the point, right? Because there's so many opportunities to do things differently. And, you know, it's funny, I was just uh, emailing with Jeff Hoffman, who was the founder of Priceline. And I remember he did a, uh, a talk for EO at, uh, at one point where he talked about how he came up with the uh, idea for Priceline. And it was really about thinking differently. And it was really about he spends 
like an hour every morning, just, you know, blue skying, brainstorming, being on the internet, looking at different things and putting ideas together. And, you know, that created his, you know, his whole business. So, you know, take these lessons into your business because, you know, it can make a huge, huge difference. Jesse, my final question, always on the podcast, uh, is uh, highest value in life is freedom. And for me, that means everything from, you know, very significant topics like freedom from oppression for all people, but it's also why I'm an entrepreneur and why I'm unemployable, you know, and why, because I want to do things my way and clearly you do as well. What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Sorry, you cut off, you cut off a little bit at the end there. You say, what, how does freedom a part of our life? Or- yeah. So, so how does uh, freedom impact? What is your definition of freedom and how does it impact uh, your life and business? Uh, it's funny, you know, I, I, people ask me, what is, what is success? And t- to me, same with you, success is freedom and fulfillment. The ability to do what I want, when I want, with the people I want, and to do something that gives me purpose uh, and joy in everything I do. And so freedom is a huge part of that. And, but with that, I also believe the great quote from Howard Schultz, that success is best when it's shared with others. And so I think the ability to have freedom to be able to create the life, create your own path, challenge the status quo, uh, do things that you know, are bigger than yourself, that fire you up, that get you up in the morning, that keep you up at night in a good way. Those are the things that I think about. And, you know, I'm challenging a lot of people and, and saying, you know, you know, what game are you changing right now? And if you have that opportunity, uh, you'll have more freedom than you ever imagined if you're changing the game and creating something truly remarkable for others. Oh, that's great. And Jesse, listen, in a prior conversation, you told me that despite being sold out, uh, when I get to Savannah, you'll get me in to a Savannah Bananas game. I can't wait to see, to see one and to meet you in person. And I so appreciate having you on the DealQuest podcast. Thanks a lot, Corey. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. You can be a friend of the show by leaving a review on the Good Pods app, podchaser.com, or any major podcast player. Every review helps the show reach more listeners. If you're ready to take your deal-making to the next level by becoming a master negotiator, head over to Amazon or Audible and grab a copy of my best-selling book, Authentic Negotiating. Then connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know your thoughts. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.